So this week we are in Parshat uh, Korach, and that begins in Bamidbar 16, Numbers chapter 16. So if you open up there, uh, again, scriptures are not on the screen. We are going to do it the old-fashioned way, and uh, everybody read from your Bible or app or whatever you have. Not very old-fashioned on, on a tablet or a phone, but you get my drift. Uh, so last week we were uh, in Parsha Shelach, which is uh, sin, Shelach Lecha, sin for yourselves, or sin if you please, and um, a massive upheaval in the nation of Israel, right? A bad report. And the, the sin of the spies, the rebellion, the treason of the spies, and as we look at Israel's history and as we look at their journey from redemption, and, and this we have to keep this in context that if we come from a replacement theology type background where we think well like Israel's just a bunch of bumbling idiots God just used them um, to kind of get his plan far enough until Yeshua could come and then he could save us and we're really the height of all creation and you know the Gentiles that this is really Christians really know what's up Israel bless their hearts as we say in the south right and so if we but if we remember in context that our picture of salvation a picture of the work of Messiah and deliverance is the picture of the exodus it's why Yeshua and the father chooses Pesach you ever scratch your head and wonder why like if Yeshua is the atonement for sin why didn't he die on Yom Kippur would have been a lot cleaner for our theology would have made a lot more sense we could have explained it a lot better it would have made more sense to us personally because you have that sticky little detail that Passover is not a sin offering man it gets really really muddy part of the reason I believe is because Yeshua's death harkens back to the first exodus and that's our template for what we can expect as believers and followers of the Messiah what we can expect in our lives and what we should pattern our lives after the the trajectory and the the ups and downs and the roller coaster that Israel experiences through their uh, their their redemption through their rescue and then through their deliverance through the Red Sea through their meeting at Sinai, um, through their then tests and wandering in the wilderness, and then to their promised land, is the picture of the the life that we are all living. It's, It's all of our lives. And so I want this to comfort us a little bit, and yet to spur us on a little bit to 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 hopefully maybe mature a little bit more. That Israel faces some major, major failures, right? Major failures. And it's so easy to look back on them and go like, sheesh, Stevie Wonder could have seen that coming. Right? And, And yet, how blind are we? How blind are we to the mud and the muck and the crap that we're carrying around, forgive my French, that we're carrying around every day and look in the mirror and go like, yep, looking good. Right? Living right and spitting white. Israel is, is, let's just put it in terms we, we are comfortable with, Israel is saved. They're, they're literally born again as a nation and are delivered miraculously. Many of us have that testimony, right? 
what was what was dead what was in bondage what was concealed in darkness is now in light and you live again you feel life again and and they are brought to a place where they receive the torah at sinai but more than just receiving a bunch of laws we are supposed to think about the receiving of torah as receiving the character of god they're, they're receiving the very attributes of God, the 13 attributes of mercy. But also, think about it as your kids. You have rules in your home, or those of you whose kids are outside of your home. You had rules in your home. Now, your rules may have in some ways been similar to the houses around you and the people you went to church with, but you had specific rules for your children that other families didn't have for their children. And we find that Israel is exactly the same way. A lot of the Torah, a lot of the laws look the same as they did in the nations around them. That, does that take away from your parenting or from your influence over your kids? No, it puts you in a culture. It puts you in a context. The, the rules in homes were, were, well, I would say a little, they were a lot different 50 years ago than they are in most homes today. Well, let's just be honest. I've said before, I'm the last of six. By the time I came along, my parents were tired they didn't they didn't take no they, they had a my you know they had a fuse like this long because everything had been pulled and tried and they were they were worn out and they were just ready for one kid to act right i'm joking if my, any of my brothers and sisters are watching i'm joking i am the promise child but that's okay uh no I'm it's a joke because we're kind of a, we're a blended family so anyway but it doesn't matter um but we we have i mean to say no to my parents no <laughs> I would have woke up like I don't know a couple days a couple days later I've, I've seen my mom in like in not in Walmart but in like our local little supermarket just you know doing her stuff getting her grocery shopping and some kid an aisle over is in the floor pitching a fit you know throwing themselves on the floor doing a temper tantrum which didn't happen in our house and I've seen my mom make a trip around she knew the, the you know whatever but and pick that kid up off the floor and get them straight. And I'm looking there going like, what the heck? So to me, it's a stranger, you know, like, what? But you did that back then. It was a community. It takes a village to raise a child. Today, kids tell parents what to do. And the whole, the whole thing is upside down, right? And the parents follow the lead of, of the children. So everyone has a different Torah in their own house a, a little bit. And, and what, makes, what makes your Torah in your house unique are the differences between your house and the houses around you. And the reason why we have different rules for our kids is because we as parents are different. And we, through raising our children, through the guidelines and the instructions that we raise them with, we expect our children to reflect us. Any parent ever said, or any child ever heard, well, so-and-so's mom... Well, I ain't their mama, right? What, is, what we're saying is that, no, I want you to be like me. I, I want to instill the values that have made me where I am. I want to instill those values to you. That's why I instruct you to do things a certain way. Some parents let their kids, you know, their, their rooms are, don't have to be so tidy and they're lived in. I mean, they're just, you know, there's toys and there's fine, whatever. And some other parents, you walk in their house and it's like a museum, and, and that is just a characteristic of the different raising of the different parents. 
Now God, Hashem is the same way in that He took Israel and, and they're in a context with a bunch of other nations. And so some of the laws are very similar, but their laws are specifically different. And those laws really reflect the image of Hashem that He wants the, the nation to pick up. Our identity as people, our identity as people today, who we are today is most largely based on how our parents raised us. We are a reflection of how our parents raised us, for good or for bad. Healthy or not so healthy. We are a result of the raising of our parents. So when we, when we say Israel received Torah at Sinai, we tend to think about laws and regulations and to-dos And yet, what we need to be kind of thinking about is the terms of God saying, no, this is how I want you to be different because I am different. Be holy because I am holy. And through the performing of the mitzvah, through the performing of the Torah, we become like Hashem in His character and who He is. For us as followers of Messiah... The anniversary of the giving of the Torah we celebrated a few weeks ago, Shavuot, is in Acts chapter 2, where Hashem gives Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, into the believers. What is Ruach anything more than the very personality of God? The, The very character of God that He poured into the believers in the upper room. And so you see, these two things are not in conflict. They are in, they're in complete harmony. They're, they're two different phases of the same plan. And so that map, we're, we're mapping our journey as believers, right? But there's something that happens at Sinai that is the first big fall of Israel. The sin of the golden calf. Again, is, this is, these are saved people. Right, that fall with idolatry. They, they, they go back to their past just for a little while. Hello? As a new believer, even, even as an old believer, <laughs> it's sometimes easy to kind of to go like, mm, yeah, but that's so comfortable though. That's so comfortable. And, and we can get on Israel for justifying the, the golden calf. Oh, well, the, just threw the gold in it. It just popped out. How convenient. But if you, if you really took note of, of the things you said every day, the thoughts you think every day, and if you really spend some time, spend a couple weeks just analyzing yourself, we realize it, would, it should scare us how much we justify our own goings back. How much we justify our own looking over our shoulder at the Sodom and Gomorrah that we were just delivered from. How much that we justify it, be, and it, it's so comfortable that there's almost, there's no difference between living holy before a holy God and kind of enjoying the fruits of, of Egypt of where we came from. There's almost no difference for us because our minds have justified it. That's what Israel's doing. That's what they know. And yet God says, Nay, nay. In this particular event, a group of people accept the challenge given by Moshe, right? Moshe says, whoever is for Hashem, right? Step to me, come to me. Who steps forward? 
Levites, the tribe of Levi, which is his people, right? His brothers, sisters, cousins, aunts, uncles. Levi steps forward and begins a whole new trajectory in the, the story of Israel. Israel goes through their young life as a new nation, grumbling, complaining, celebrating, grumbling, complaining, celebrating, grumbling, grumbling, complaining, worried about all of the major aspects of life. See, they've been given mitzvah that would transfer them or transform them into the image of Hashem, into the image of Adam Rishon, the first Adam. And yet they're still struggling with this, how do I do real life and do this too? And the, the truth is that such a, a void has been left in many of our lives because when we came to, to Yeshua, when we came to Christ, it, it was, a, it was a, now everything is spiritual and now, now the things of life are not the things of life anymore. And there's, there's, a, you know, there's a whole different way to approach life. That's great. What is that way? Tell me that way because I need to know it. Well, you just pray and turn everything over to Jesus. Okay, so, so then what? Well, you just have faith and believe. Okay, and then what? And you just trust. And you come to church and pay your tithe. Don't forget that. Jesus really needs it. And this, this separation thing that separates us from real life, and yet we find Israel struggling in, the, in their, their journey their, their struggle is really not with, with Moses to this point. It's really not with Hashem to this point. It's really with life. How, how do we do the things you've asked us to do and yet live life? And for so many new believers and heck, for older believers, the, the challenge is not, we, we have faith in God. We have trust in God. We, we, we have faith in His Word. We, we've been given the gift of of. of of Ruach, we've been given this word, and, and, and that's all good. The problem comes in where faith intersects with life. And, I, and I, would, I would love to do this, and yet I have to pay the bills. I would love to be able to live completely obediently and fully surrendered, and yet I have relationships that would turn sour if I really lived for God like I felt like He was asking me to. There would be some issues in my home if I really surrendered like I felt like I was supposed to. See, it's, it's not a problem with God. It's a problem with when, when this relationship intersects real life. And the beauty of the Torah, which is something we were never taught, the beauty of the Torah is that the Torah is so vast and so, uh, so comprehensive because it hits every area of life. There's a lot of things that you found out because you're, you're you know, older, mature folks. There's a lot of things you found out you don't have to pray for. There's a lot of things you don't have to pray for. You got good sense. Don't pray about it. Go do it. Oh, there's, a, there's an eight log truck, you know, barreling down the road in front of us. And there's a kid standing in the, in the road, doesn't see it, going after a ball or something. Are we going to pray about what to do? How do we know what to do? Well, a lot of it is because of some of the things that we've gotten from Torah. And yet, when we, when we start to study Torah, we, we get so excited because we realize like, oh, there's actually like a way to live life. Like there's a system to this thing. There's a, like there's a plan. 
Like Hashem knew, he didn't, he didn't do like some of the churches have done and, and pastors have done and just go like, oh, you're saved now. Good luck. Learn how to swim. And more people walk away from God, not in their, you know, in 15, 20, 30 years of their walk with God. They walk away in the honeymoon phase because there's nobody and there's no teaching out there to say, no, this is, this is the commandment. This is how we're to walk. This is how we are to reflect Hashem, how we are to accept Hashem, and how we are to, to, to live because of Him. Now, some denominations may get you out of the water, towel dry you, and have a new set of clothes for you to wear because the clothes you came in with is not up to their standard. And yet, that's not what I'm talking about. The Torah itself intersects with every area of life. It's why the feast days, the Moedim, are so important. They're so practical and they're so, they're so today for every day. Because I've, as I've said before, the, the, the most mind-blowing thing for Feast for Me is about unleavened bread, about cleaning out all the yeast in the dark corners of your house, looking for the, the chametz in all the places that you, you maybe usually don't pay that much attention to. How much is that a picture of life? Holy smokes. And we, so we're, we're beginning to, to learn this thing, and yet we still, we still have some issues along the way. Israel's, comp- Israel's complaints and grumblings against God, you notice, they're never like extravagant complaints. They're never, they're never like, well, we've got everything we need, but man, it would be so nice if we could all have iPhones. I know, I know. Or like, you know, the fire is beautiful and the stars are wonderful, but man, I'd love to watch the game on a big screen. Their, their, their complaints are never extravagant what do they complain about mostly food and water food and water who the substance of life who can you blame for complaining or for desiring food and water and getting a little freaked out when food and water is eh. i mean heck we freak out when there's not enough toilet paper which is sadly a too regular of an occurrence there but there as a nation their complaints are not are not big and ext- they're not complaining like well I wish I had a tent like they had or like I wish you know I wish I drove a Cadillac like they did or I, I wish wh- whatever they're not big ext- they're going like hey we don't have anything to drink hello can we can we get some like can you can you really in a way can you really fault them I mean you and I have complained over much dumber stuff we've been much more bratty in our complaints to Hashem Thank you. Somebody amen. Thank you. <laughs> but they have a new car and they don't even live for you. But their kids are so good and they don't even have them in church. But her husband's so faithful and he's an alcoholic. I'm not saying those are trivial things. What I'm saying is we judge the nation of Israel and we just don't have the mirror that reflects back to us you you are on this journey what are you doing you are on this journey hey if you're going to complain to god i mean let it be life or death right other than that do the torah walk by the spirit be happy about life it's it's good it's it's all good so we find israel going through the, and we have these grumblings but the grumblings are never really they're never really about about Moses and about God they're really about life and then we come to the sin of the spies which we read last week 
And remember that the Torah is not in necessarily in chronological order, and so things can get kind of out of whack. But the sin of the spies, and you have this bad report. And the people are grumbling against Moses, but even in that moment, it's, it's still not about Moses. It's that they don't have a place to go. They don't have a place to live. Moses is just the easiest target because he's the leader. He's the easiest target, so they go like, it's your fault we're going to die in the wilderness. But really, the root issue of their complaint is that we're in the wilderness, and it stinks. The, the, the Egyptian wilderness is rough. The wadi, it's called, is rough. We talked about that in our Lessons in the Desert uh, series. And so the, their, their issue is with the substance of life, food, water, shelter or a home, a place to live, a place to be. All along, you have this guy named Moses. The, the, the Torah in a couple different places attributes something to Moses that it doesn't attribute to anyone else ever in Scripture. That he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. How does Moses start this journey out? Well, he... He goes to the backside of the desert, et cetera, et cetera, comes back. And then he, he, has, he meets an Etz Chaim, the tree of life, the burning bush, right, in the, the mountains of Sinai. And Hashem speaks to him, and five different times Moses refuses. Moses refuses, argues with God, and basically just says like, no, sorry, find somebody else, not happening. And God continues to call Moses, thank Baruch Hashem, that he continues to call us even when we're trying to run away. It's not like his thing is playing hard to get. That's not, that's not like, I know some of y'all. I know some of you ladies in here. When you were in high school, I, I know. I bet some of y'all, your thing was hard to get. I'm being facetious, sorry. I'm, I didn't ask for an amen. I ain't getting into that. I ain't getting into y'all's business. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. But God's not about, it's not like if we go, oh, no, God, I don't want to do that, no. And in, the, in, the, in our minds, we're going like, yes, please, ask me again. That, that's, not the relate, that's not the way God does it. That's not the way God works. Moses was like, no, no, you don't, look, big guy, you don't understand. I'm not doing this. Find, some, find anybody else, and I'll follow. I'll be a part of the plan. I'll work the system. I'll support. I'll do whatever, just not I. This is going to matter for when we actually get into Parsha. This is all introduction. You're welcome. But I repeat what I said earlier that if you're looking for what is, what is God really asking me to do? What does God really want me to do? The thing that God really has, has placed in your life as why he created you, your reason for being, it's a weird mix. I wish it was easy. It's, it is. Well, it's simple. It's not easy. Your, your purpose for being a living, breathing creature is a weird mix between the thing that you absolutely love and are passionate about and comes naturally to you and the thing you're the most fearful and insecure about. You find where those two things overlap? Will of God. Moses goes like, I'm not able to speak. I don't speak well. 
And what is Moses known for? I mean, he's, he's got some pretty awesome prayers, right? They're like back and forth with God, where they're kind of like husband and wife fighting over the kids. You know, they're your kids. No, they're your kids. I love it. And, and, and so he's known for some prayers. That's good. He, he's a military strategist, right? They go to war, and, and you know, and, and that's, all, that's all fine. But over and over and over in the Torah, there's a phrase that continues to come up. And Hashem said to Moses, Speak to B'nai Israel, saying, But I don't talk well. And Hashem said to Moses, Speak. And Hashem said to Moses, Speak. And Hashem said to Moses, Speak. See, the reason why Moshe had the job that Moshe had is because Moshe didn't want the job that he had. See, it's the, this, it's the reason why Moshe didn't get completely consumed by his calling. There's so many people that pray and that seek God for a calling, and when they finally find their calling, they end up being consumed by it. Because what they, they don't want God, they want a calling. They, they don't want the personality of Hashem. They, they want recognition. They don't, they don't want to be effective and they don't want to lose their own life for the betterment of the people around them. They don't want to put aside their own desires and their own passions and their, their own hobbies and their own time and all that. They don't want to do that for everybody around them. No, they, they want more time for themselves. They want accolades. They want, they want everybody to look at them. See, it's a, it's a, it's a this-way street, not a this-way street. And, and the reason why Moshe was effective and was not consumed and, 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 and the reason why Hashem kept him in his office is Moses messed up. We all do. But it's because he didn't want to do the job that he was called to do. And I believe until Moses' dying day, he wrestled with whether or not he was adequate to do that job. I believe that the, the, the last part of Moshe's life, which we studied a little bit, where he strikes the rock twice I believe that frustration is not a frustration with the people and not a frustration with Hashem again I believe it's a frustration with himself my personal opinion Moshe tells Hashem at one point if you're not going to forgive the nation of Israel take my name out of the book don't don't even don't even associate me. If, if you're not going to fulfill and, and, and be faithful to your promise and forgive your people, then just count me out. It's, it's all of us or none of us. What an attitude. What a humility. What a... Because listen, I'll just be honest. I'm your pastor. I love you all very dearly. Some of you more than others. No, I'm joking. I'm, I'm so joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. That was such a joke. It was a bad joke. But it, no, I'm sorry. I don't. No, 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 no. I love you all very dearly. I, and I mean that. And, and only Heather can tell you, and, and some, she doesn't even know, but only, only Heather could tell you how, how much each and every one of you are on my mind constantly. I may not call and text and berate and show up at your house and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Maybe I should do more of that, maybe less, whatever. But 
as much as I love and care and think about and pray for each one of you every day, if it really came to rubber meets the road, I'm just going to be honest, I would be hard-pressed to stand before God and say, all of us are none of us. Okay? I, I, uh, when God goes, hey, Moshe, I'll, I'll start over with you. I just got to be honest. As much as I love you all, that's, that's kind of a hard deal to turn down. <laughs> the character of Moshe, to be able to say like, no, this ragged bunch of slaves, this bunch of knucklehead, stiff-necked people, no, it's all of us or none of us. If you don't forgive them, I'm out. And the truth of the matter is that not many of us have of us have had that type of spiritual mentor, father figure, leader, rabbi, pastor in our lives. Some of us have, but not many of us have. I pray and hope to God that one, one day, if he lets me continue to do this, I'll develop that. I had a man like that in my life for a short period, and God, I wish I would have had him longer. And so we, we're, we're challenged from the, from the get-go. So we finally get to our Parsha, Korah. It's important to remember who Korah is. I know if you just read the text, you go like, Korah, who the heck is this guy? Right? He just kind of comes out of nowhere. Nobody knows where he is. He stages this big rebellion. He gets swallowed up by the earth, and a bunch of other people die. And then the story moves on. You know, like, that was, that was terrible. What next? And, and, and it's, just, it's just like a, it's just another blip on the map if you only read the text. But the beautiful thing is that the sages and, and Jewish history has a ton to say about Korah. The sages love Korah. Might, we were talking about, you mentioned earlier, you've been studying this. The sages, man, not love like an affectionate love, but, they, you know, I say all the time, like, we, it's hard to psychoanalyze the, the people in scripture it's hard we can't really do that safely well that's basically what Jewish Midrash is it's a huge psychoanalysis of why this person did this why did they pray this way why did they have trouble with this fall this way and all the, and Midrash is not supposed to be taken literally but, but, but the sages have a huge volume of work about Korah and it's it's so deep we're not going to touch it hardly at all today but I would encourage you to, to, to look go in and, and look and search for what they have so there's a link between the end of the last Parsha and this Parsha the last Parsha ends with the commandment of tzitzit right tzitzit so uh, the corner of your garment uh, the corner of your garment right that you're to wear fringes and they're to have one thread of techelet of blue sky blue right this is techelet I know it's hard to see from where you are this is this is techelet um, as accurately as we know, right? One thread of Tehillah. And what was the reason giving, given for that commandment? If you turn back to Numbers 15, what was the reason given? Yeah, so that, so that when you look on them, um, you'll remember to perform, right, all the commandments of Hashem. When you, that when you do what? When you, when you see them, when you look upon them, Right? 
how is this connected to, to the spies? Why is this here with the, what's the deal with the spies? Well, the spies spent 40 days in the land doing what? Looking. Looking, spying out the land. Look, the, the word spy there, I learned this this week from Rabbi Chaim Richmond. The word spy is really not spy like covert spy. It's in, in, modern, uh, in modern Hebrew, it's actually the word for a tour. So like the, the, the ministry of tourism in Israel, their emblem is a couple of guys carrying a huge grapevine. It's, it's the spies. The, the word is tour. They went to tour the land. So it's like, like we, we think like Moses was like, all right, guys, let's get together. Like, let's, we got to get together. It's covert, black ops, right? And go in through the land. And so they were kind of like, well, oh, this stinks. We don't want to do this. But really what it is, is Moshe's like dignitaries because the 12 spies were very, very prestigious men in the land of Israel. Dignitaries. We invite you to take a tour of the beautiful land which Hashem will give us. Enjoy your 40 days and 40 nights. (laughs) And they came back going, we saw it. It was scary. So see, their attitude towards the whole thing is is negative. But then Hashem gives the the commandment about tzitzit, that when when you look on it, you remember the word of Hashem and to do the commandments. So, we find in chapter 16, Korach, son of Izar, son of Kohat, son of Levi. He's a cousin of Moshe. It's Moshe's people. Right? With uh, Dathan and Aviram, sons of Eliab, and Own, son of Pelet, the offspring of Reuben. Now, here's just a little hint. If you remember back in Genesis, back in Bereshit, there's an issue with one of the sisters of Israel, Right? Dina, who gets who gets seduced, and, and all. who are the two brothers that just run roughshod over over the the guys? It's Reuben and Le- and Simeon. Is it Simeon, right? And Levi's in there as well. Yeah, Simeon and Levi, right? When you see Simeon and Levi or Reuben and Levi together, trouble. Look out. They. They, they, they have a, even kind of in in, in, uh, in in Jewish tradition today they go like oh those Simeonites and Levites or those Reubenites and Levites like when they get when they get together it's bad like all all uh, logic goes out of the window and it's just, it's like hold my beer right and so you, you know, like, if you've read the Torah and you've read the history, you know when they mention Levi and, and Reuben, it's like, hmm, this is probably not going to be good. It's probably not going to be okay. So verse, verse 2, it says that they, they stood. Now, let me make this point. Korah is a son of Levi, which means what? At the golden calf, the, the major turning point in Israel's history, at the golden calf, when everybody else was worshiping the calf, or was worshiping God through the calf, or however you want to think about that. Korah was one of the men when Moses said, whoever is for Hashem, come, come with me. Korah's one of the ones that went, yeah, absolutely. With everything that I am. Which means not only did he trust Hashem, but he also trusted Moshe. 
Okay? We've got to remember this history because it's very important. Verse 2, they stood before Moshe with 250 men from the children of Israel, leaders of the assembly. And we have that phrase again. <laughs> Who brought the offerings back a couple parshot ago? The princes of the tribes. Who were the spies? Leaders of the tribes. Who were these 250 men? Leaders of the tribes. This, this is not just some weak-minded, you know, again, like I said last week, it's not like Joe Blow hanging out on the corner going like, what are you doing? Nothing. Come with me. No, these are distinguished righteous men. Righteous men that have previously been faithful to Moshe. He summoned them men of renown. If you've got to press the point anymore. Verse 3. They gathered together against Moshe and against Aaron and said to them, It is too much for you. For the entire assembly, all of them are holy. Hashem is among them. Why do you exalt yourselves over the congregation of Hashem? Okay, so there's a midrash about this. That's awesome. So we talked about tzitzit, right, in the last parsha, And, this, and there's a Rambam, uh, Maimonides, has this way of interpreting the Torah portions that every Torah portion connects to the next one somehow. And so the way that students of Rambam study the Torah portions is that their main focus is looking for the connection. How do these parshot connect, right? It's awesome. So there's one connection here in the Midrash. It says that Korah took these 250 men and he dressed them in solid Tehelet cloaks. Not just, not just a thread. Where is it? Right here. Not just a thread, but solid Tehelet. And he paraded them before Moshe and the people in this big, like, in this big theat- theatrical, like, dramatic thing. And he asks Moses, he poses this quote, question to Moses, and he says, If the whole garment, the whole talit, is sanctified from one blue thread, then does a complete garment of blue thread need a tzitzit, a tassel? It's like this very rabbinic. It's very confusing. And Moses' answer was yes. And this is one of the things that kind of sparked the whole thing with, with Korah. Again, this is Midrash, and Midrash is not supposed to be taken literally. So that doesn't mean that literally happened. What is it there to teach us? It's exactly what Korah's saying here. Is not the whole people holy? Is not the whole garment holy? Then Moses, why do you lift yourself up over the whole congregation because what do you notice about somebody wearing a tallit do you wear do you notice the garment underneath no you notice the tassels so in 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 a way in a midrashic way he's saying like why do you everybody's holy look we're all priests hashem is with all of us the present shekinah is with all of us living here why do you lift yourself up but there's a major problem with this, when has Moshe ever lifted himself up? The only, the only way you could say Moshe lifted himself up is, if he, is when he provided himself as, a, as a, an offering for the rest of the people, so to speak. If, if you don't forgive the people, blot me out as well, right? Moses is not in the habit. His character is not to lift himself up over the people. As a matter of fact, as we said before, the reason Moses has his job is because he's always trying to run from it. It's because he doesn't want to do it. 
the rest of the time we've, we've talked about, the, the issue has always been about water, food, that, that kind of stuff. The spies, it was with survival. And the spies even say, like, if we go in to take the land, who's going to take care of our children? Like, they, they're, they're fearing for their lives. It's about those kinds of things. This is the first time that, that Moses is actually accused and, and the, the attitude turns away from their lives towards Moshe, Aaron, and Hashem himself. And so it says, gathered against him, and they said, it's too much for you. How much of Moshe's story does Korak know? We don't know. I would think maybe some. I mean, they're cousins. But how does he know what's too much for Moshe? How does anybody know that the promise of God and the plan of God over your life is too much for you? How, how can you let anyone stand in your life and say that dream you have is too big? That, that passion you have, that calling you think God is calling you to do is too much for you. How dare they without knowing the secret prayers that you've prayed, the secret cries that you've, that you've, that you've cried, the, the, the secret yearnings that you've had, that you've, the things that you've sacrificed when, when nobody else knew, the things that you've given, the things that you've done, the, 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 the mitzvah that you've performed when nobody else saw, how dare someone to say it's too big of a dream. It's too much for you. Any voice like that in your life needs to be sidelined. I don't care if it's spouse, children, parent, pastor, pastor, prophet, whatever it might be. Moses heard this and fell on his face. <laughs> what would your response be? I'll tell, I'll show you it's not enough. That's right, that's right. I'll fall upon your face with these hands. <laughs> Moses was gangster, you don't know. Moshe falls on his face. Again, a sign of the humility that is part of his character. In verse 5, he spoke to Korah and his entire assembly, saying, In the morning Hashem will make known this one who is his own and the Holy One, and he will draw him close to himself and whomever he will choose he will draw close to himself this picks up on the vaikra thing right that that vaikra and and he shall call right that whole drawing drawing close it starts to put a real chasm here in the text between moshe and between korah moshe and aaron are already close They've continually been drawn towards Hashem. They've continued, they're in the service of Hashem. And yet it, he tells Korah, well, Hashem will say who's going to draw him close. In other words, going, you, you don't even know what you're asking for. You're so far away. And this is where the sages begin to teach that, that Korah is not just doubting Moses, he's doubting the very existence of Hashem himself. And that's why Korah his punishment is so severe. Um, how did he get these, these 250 men? How did he get these, this, all this influence and stuff? Well, according again to the sages, he's a politician. He's a, politi he's a narcissist. Not all politicians are narcissists. But if the shoe fits. 
And we, and we, need, we, we need politicians. I mean, we do. You know, we need good ones. The, the, the history is that Korach spends the, the previous two, couple days to this going through the camp and going tent to tent. Every Israelite tent in the entire camp. He goes in hugging necks, kissing babies. The, this is history that is written thousands of years ago, right? How in the world? Polit- politics hasn't changed. It hasn't changed in all of, all of creation. Politicians always do the same thing, right? Pounding flesh, you know, shaking hands, hugging necks, kissing babies, you know, all, all this stuff. And Korah is he, is, he is under the, the spies. At least they came to the whole congregation and went like, yep, we're toast if we go in there, guys. Don't even... Like, don't, nope, don't even try it. Well, Korah was sneaky. He was underhanded. And he went to each person's tent. And can you imagine them in the conversations he's had? Yeah, what do you think about the state of affairs? Some of us have had those conversations about pastors we've served in the past. Oh, sorry, was that too close? pray for them about bosses about politicians about all these other these other things there's there's one thing interesting Moses talks about God will choose and God will show for himself hadn't God already chosen hadn't God already chosen how did God choose Moshe through signs and wonders right through miracles a burning bush plagues um, the parting of a sea the, you know bread falling from heaven the, the cloud of glory on the top of Mount Sinai that Moses just walks right up into water from a rock I mean like over and over and over you, you know again like you could you know that God has chosen Moshe nobody could doubt that God has chosen Moshe but here's a question I want to ask you how do you choose your leaders How do you choose your leaders? Why are you here? Now, before I even get into this, this is not like a tell me I'm good, right? <laughs> tell me how good I am. That's, that's not what this is about. I'm, I want you to think because this is, a tough, this is a tough part of this Parsha for me. How do you choose who you follow? Do you follow people that exhibit signs and wonders? There's not many of them around, and let's just be completely honest. If you get to know any of them that are, they're really flaky. I mean, that's part of the gift. I, I've been around prophecy and the, and the gifts of the Spirit long enough to know that people that are truly gifted in the Spirit, they're weird. That's, I'm, I'm, with all due respect, they're just not quite elevated and go all the way to the top. And that's okay. That, there's something about that that Hashem uses in order to, I mean, it's a good thing. But anyway. It just is what it is. So to follow someone that, that exhibits signs and miracles is great, but there's often a lot lacking in that relationship. In, in that. And often people that, that are, are used in the gifts of signs and wonders, usually they're not very personal people. They're not very, they're not, very, they're not leader-oriented. They're, they're, that's not their thing. Their thing is alone with God, and then being used by God and then back kind of into sequestration. That's kind of their, their MO. Um, and, and so let's kind of rule that out. 
We say, well, I only follow people that preach the Bible. And I would applaud that except for like a major glaring issue. That I, I, I would like to say I teach the Bible. And I would like to think you all agree because you sit here every week and listen to me yammer on about my own issues and, and how the Bible fits, whatever. I teach the Bible and I teach that the Torah is relevant for today. That it was, it was, it's never been done away with. That we should care about what we eat, when we celebrate, when we worship. We should care about things like equal weights and measures. We should care about all, all these kinds of things. Um, but go out of the parking lot, take a right, and then take a left, and stop at the first church you come to. They say that they teach the Bible. But they teach the exact opposite of what I teach. So who's really teaching the Bible? There's a lot of people that believe the earth is flat. And you might be in here today if you believe it. I'm not going to throw shade on you. If you believe the earth is pear-shaped, I'm going to ridicule you a little bit. I'm joking. But where do you get that from? You get a flat earth from people that teach the Bible. Where do you get... Um, I mean, I don't know, whatever, where do you get, it's, you know, polygamy is okay. Where do you get that? You get that from teachers that are teaching the Bible, right? So when we say, when I, when I ask you, how do you decide who to follow, to say, I only follow people that teach the Bible. See how that's a problem? It's not, not a good answer. What, what, you, what you probably mean is that I follow people who teach the Bible the way I read it the way I want it taught which is again cool it worked for me in the Baptist church for years it worked for me in Pentecostalism for years it, whatever good so that's kind of so signs and miracles are out that's kind of out what, you know what the, the point I'm trying to get to is Korah has been loyal to Moshe and to Hashem this whole time through the murmurings, through, the, through Sinai, through, through the, the desert, through the manna, through the quail, through the water from a rock, through Marah and Marivah. He's been, he's been faithful to Moses through some really, really tough stuff. Why now? Why now? What makes Korah decide, I'm done, I'm finished, no more? What makes him decide that today is the day that he's going to start to undercut Moses? Now, some opinions and some of your opinions based on Bible study Wednesday night is that he's always kind of had this, this desire. He's just looking for the right moment. He's just waiting for his moment. And after the sin of the spies and the nation is despondent, he takes this opportunity because Moses is at his weakest now. That may very well be the case. If that is the case, he's pretty good at playing the game. Because he's played the game through some really, really difficult parts of Israel's story so far. Maybe he is. Narcissists are. They're great at playing the game. They can play the game longer than you. They're so much that they'll wear you out. And that's how they win. I know that from experience. Not as a narcissist. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, anyway. So what makes Korah decide right now this is, this is it? Serving and, and, and serving Hashem under the, the leadership of a man who, again, we listed all the, the plagues, the miracles, all the signs and wonders and all that kind of stuff going like, this is enough. Th then, then how do we think about that in our own lives? 
how do you decide the leader that you are going to follow? Of course, following the Messiah, but you understand what I mean. Who are you going to decide? Who is the person that is going to disciple you, mentor you, pastor you, care for you, whatever? How do you decide who that person is? And then secondly, and the more important in, in my opinion, is how do you decide when you're done with that person? How do you decide when you're done with that leader? What does that process, what does that decision-making process look like? And this is a little bit of family business. I'll just say I had an agenda going about it this way. The, the most important thing to me as a, as a pastor, and I'm not liking myself to Moses, I'm not saying any of that, but we, listen, we, we've said, well, like, Moses is the man of God, and so I, so am I as your pastor. Like, I'm not saying that. We've done Moses a lot more disservice and taken this stuff out of context a lot more than what I'm doing. I'm, I wanted to use it as a, as a, a springboard to say, Within, within this little part of Congregation of Israel at OAM, if you're, if you're a Korah and you're looking for a position, let me just be very clear, there ain't none available. I'm it. Oh, 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 oh. Some people just logged off. If, let me let me rephrase. I didn't intended it to. Yeah, it sounded better in my head. the 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 role The role of deciding the spiritual journey and direction for OAM has been given to me. That does not mean that does not mean that I am the only one I, that I believe I have all the answers. I, those of you that have been around know. How many times I come to you and go like, "What are we supposed to do? What are we, what are we doing? Uh, what songs do y'all want to sing? I don't know. Wait, what you know? What do y'all want to do for the feast? I don't know. What you you know me well enough to know. But ultimately, ultimately, at the very top level, the decision making process has to go has to come to me, and I have to be able to say, "This is who we are, and this is who we're not." Right. It doesn't mean that input is not welcome and from, from those, and, and I, I trust all of you explicitly, that your opinion is very, very valuable. So what I mean by there's no position here is not, I mean that position is filled. So what I mean is that if there's a core in here that is looking to redirect the dire- overall direction of OAM, then you might as well find yourself the door now because that's not, I will fight, I will, I will fight tooth and nail for, the, for this congregation. Because I know the message that God has given me. So, on the other hand, if any of you are feel lead, feel like led to start leading worship, I'd be great with that. If any of you feel like you want again, you want to be a you know a children's invest in the children, please, please do that. There are service opportunities available. So have I dug myself out of that hole? Okay, good, thank you. Right, whatever. She's supposed to say that. She's my wife. But attendance is back. Yeah, no, they're going after that. I guarantee you. Um, so, but I don't think we have any Koras in here. I, the thing about that I've noticed about our group is that even since we started, Koras come in and they quickly find their way out. 
They don't stay very, very long because we just don't put up with that mess. I know that spirit. I've dealt with that spirit for years. Not for myself, from defending other pastors that I worked under. I seem to always have found myself in the, in the, the place of the, you know, the one going like, protect the pastor against all the Koras. That was, Joe, that was part of Joe's job description. Thanks. So we just don't, we just don't feed that spirit here. And I'm not, I'm not going to. You can have influence in a place, but if influence is all you want, you can go, go join the Lions Club or be a Rotary member. Like that's, that, those are good places for that. If, if you are, have been a, a part of our, our fellowship and you've noticed stuff that you don't like, I'm sure there's stuff you don't like. You don't like the way the landscaping's done. There's wheat. Miss Jennifer, I know, pulled up this morning not to call you out. I appreciate this about you. I know probably Miss Jennifer walked up and saw the weeds in the flower bed. Did you? Don't lie. Don't. No, you're shaking your head. I, okay, I'll believe you if you say you didn't. She'll notice I'm going out now. <laughs> Everyone, yeah, thanks. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah, grab a weed as you go. Um, you know, some people may like how cool we keep it. Some you you may not like what I teach all the time. I may I may say stuff sometimes or very regularly that you go like, "What in the world? That was out of bounds." Here, here's what I would say: the problem comes up when those things start to accumulate, right? And and I think the major problem we have in, in congregations like this is that besides the the true core of spirit that is narcissistic and and desires position influence et cetera et cetera is that the grumblings over, over life stuff, over, over everyday stuff, start to accumulate. And, and when the weight of those concerns outweighs the trust that you have in the leader, then things start to turn upside down. What is the remedy to that? The remedy to that is one word, relationship. It really is that, it really is that easy. And I love the, and I'll just say this to, to everyone's credit, I love the fact that most of y'all are not very scared to come after service and go, I don't know. <laughs> you kind of lost me. That's tough. You know, and, and voice those, and I, lo- and I love that, and I'm glad. Um, if, but if there's theological things, teaching things, uh, if there's operational things, like we never have enough toilet paper, what could, why is that? Whatever it may be, don't let the little dissatisfactions, don't let them begin to outweigh your confidence in why God sent you here in the first place. If there's disagreements, if there's misunderstanding, we can talk. If we can't discuss those things, we have no relationship calling ourselves, or no, no, uh, no reason or no grounding to call ourselves mishpacha, because we're not. We say we're family, but we're dysfunctional. And I have enough dysfunction in my own family. I don't need it in my spiritual family. So if you notice little things along the way, come make suggestions. Say, say something. Don't let it blow up and then all of a sudden one day going, you, you're walking away from God. I'm done. And when it started out over, you know, because we didn't have the right paper plates. Like, but that's how stuff happens in church. Those of you who have been in church know. You disagree with a, a wall color one time and then two years later the pastor is a heretic. Hello. That sounds funny to you. You haven't been in church long enough. So in a way here we have Korah that has a has a, 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 a spirit all his own. In another way, 
Korah is feeding on the dissatisfactions of other people. Other people that, pro- that probably don't have the same motivation as Korah does. These 250 righteous men of renown are probably not a whole bunch of narcissists. They're probably just, they're just like, well, I just want to be where God wants me. I just want to be faithful and serve. And I just want to make it to the promised land. I just want to, I just want to make it wherever that happens to be. And yet, an, a, a Korah will turn your everyday little minor, minor things into a, a, a thing that cannot be ignored. The only way to deal with that is to, is to flush them out in the, in the beginning. So that if a Korah does ever come in and go, you notice how he said this or how he does this? Or, does it, isn't it weird? How, you can say, oh, I already talked to him about it. We, we're, very, we're open about that. He knows I don't like that. Or, or you know, we, we can do it. I know some of you in here don't like the, song, don't like the songs I pick. You don't, frankly, you don't like my voice. Get up here and start singing. Gladly. I, I got like literally I'll take my stuff home today but if I know that if we know that and somebody comes in and goes like, oh yeah. you go like no he knows <laughs> and so, see there's no dark places for, for, for distrust and for, for bitterness and jealousy to lie there's, there's none of that happening here and I'll tell you if you come to me with something you don't like it'll keep me up for the next week because that's how much I care but don't let that hinder you from crying. I don't want to bother him. no bother me because I care more about our relationship this is what this is about it's, a, it's about having a place of safety where we can come together um, let's just continue to read because I want to get through just the next part of this and then we'll, we'll be done um, so verse we read verse 5 Hashem will draw himself close will draw uh, close to himself verse 6 um, do this take for yourselves fire pans Korah and his entire assembly and put fire in them and place incense on them before Hashem tomorrow if, if you're reading this going like okay I wonder what's going to happen next and you're not going like oh no 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 don't time out don't do this then you're not then you haven't read the earlier chapters and books correctly or, or close enough we read and go like okay I have fire pans and incense okay I can't wait to see what happens who are these who, remind us who are these people Le- Levites right right they're Levites great right awesome they are in one circle when we talk about radial Kedusha they're, they're in an, a, a, like the third circle away from Shekinah right okay um, who is allowed permitted to offer incense Kohanim Oh, not Levites, Kohanim. So, what we didn't talk about with Korah is we didn't talk about who really, like, what his job was. Who's, who's, who's Korah? He's responsible for carrying the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> yeah, and protecting the priest. Like, he's a big, I mean, Korah's no slouch, right? We didn't spend enough time talking about Korah himself. He's no slouch. He's intelligent. He's gifted. He's called. Like, I mean, by all accounts, he's, I mean, he's a, yeah, renowned. I mean, he's not some slouch. So don't, don't think about Korah as some idiot. He's not. And yet Moses goes, all right, tell you Levites, a bunch of Levites what to do. It's time to offer some incense. And, and what do they do? Okay, that's right. We'll see. 
wait, wait, wait. God's already chosen. That should have been a sign to go like, wait, this is a trick. Wait a minute. So what caused them to just lose all of their good sense and go like, well, we'll show you. Bring it on. Interesting. It's important that we take notice of that, that we notice that. Like, wait, this is not supposed to be happening. This is not supposed to be happening in the first place. That there were two Kohanim that offered incense, remember? Right? Adav and Avihu. And they got burned up for it. And they were Kohanim who could offer incense. Here's a bunch of Levites that are going like, well, we'll just burst our way through that circle of Kedusha and we'll do it and we'll show you. You see, when deception and when bitterness and all that stuff starts to creep in, it completely changes the way you rationalize things. It completely changes the way you see the world. Healthy people don't see the world the same way hurt people do. We just don't. Pain, bitterness, jealousy, all of these things, it warps your sense of rationality. It changes the way you think. Those of you that are, are those of you watching, those of you here, that, that have been through traumatic experiences and suffer maybe like PTSD or, or something like that, you know. You know that your brain doesn't function the way it did before that. that it just doesn't. It's not the same. You don't see the world. You don't compute. You don't think the same way that you used to. And so Moshe in verse 8 says to Korah, here now offspring of Levi. It's, it's like he says it again and again. Like, I'm giving you a chance. Like, okay, sons of Levi offering incense. Hello? It is not enough for you that the God of Israel has segregated you from the assembly of Israel. To draw you near to himself. That drawing near again. To perform the service of the tabernacle of Hashem. And to stand before the assembly to minister to them. Reminding Korah what his place is. And, and, all, and all these Levites. Verse 10. He drew near and all your brethren, the offspring of Levi, with you. Yet you seek priesthood as well. Therefore, you and your entire assembly that are joining together against Hashem. And as for Aaron, what is he that you protest him? There's some awesome Midrashic stuff about Aaron too. Aaron's, Aaron's quality, which is the reason why Hashem chose him as, as, uh, as high priest, is that Aaron is a peacemaker. Aaron is, in his kindness, he's a peacemaker. We don't hear a lot about Aaron and like who he is and like we don't, just don't know. He's just like second in command to Moshe. But again, the sages have a lot to say about Aaron. He's a peacemaker. How do we know he's a peacemaker? Well, because at the sin of the golden calf, what does he do? Just, okay, like, just, it's fine, whatever. Whatever you guys want. Let's just have, let's just have peace, right? He's, he's a peacemaker. And so Moses goes, what do you got against him? He's done nothing but try to bring us together and try to keep us from being this pulled apart, frazzled mess. Verse 12, and Moshe sent forth to summon Dathan and Aviram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, we will not go up. It is not enough that you have brought us from a land flowing with milk and honey. Wait. He didn't say to a land, he said from a land. Because words matter. You brought us from a land flowing with milk and honey. Oh wait, you mean where you were making bricks without straw? And, and you, now you reminisce about the onions, the leeks. Were there not leeks in Egypt? L-E-E-K. See how we get distorted, we get twisted? 
this Torah thing is hard and these Torah teachers are crazy at least in the church yes go on <laughs> at least in the church we were lied to but we felt good about it oh okay <laughs> uh, um, yet you seek to dominate us and to dom- dominate us further Moreover, you did not bring us to a land flowing with milk and honey, nor give us a heritage of field and vineyard. Even if you would gouge out the eyes of those men, we shall not go up. Now, here's the thing about their complaints, is that much like the spies, they're right. They're right. Moses didn't bring them to a land of milk and honey yet. It wasn't as easy a trip as, as, they, as he said it would be. It hasn't gone really super well. It's been a little bumpy. There's been a couple wars. There's been some famine. There's been some death. There's been guys burned alive from the inside out. I don't know. Whatever. There's been some hiccups along the way. Much like the spies, their report is not incorrect. They are correct. But much like the spies, if these 250 men and the sons of Korah would have really been men of wisdom and really had issue, they would have gone to Moses and said, let's have a little come to you. Not Yeshua, he would, uh, come to Moses' meeting. Let's, let's get together and have a business meeting and let's figure out why things are going so bad. But see, there's no engagement. There's no investment between the people and Moses. There's a breakdown somehow there. And, and congregations, and, and, and whether it's a nation or whether it's a, a, a fellowship, don't operate if there's a breakdown between the person following the vision he feels or she feels like it's from Hashem and the people that are, that are following. Don't follow anybody blindly. That's a disaster. You may like me and like my family, and that's great, and I appreciate it, and right back at you. But don't you dare follow me blindly. Whoever you're following... This, that's why it's so hard for me to recommend teachers because I only listen to teachers that I can contact directly. If I can't send you an email and you email me back or I leave a voicemail and you call me back, I'm not listening to what you have to say for an hour and a half. I'm sorry. I'm just not. Because I'm not going to follow anybody blindly. We call Doubting Thomas Doubting Thomas. But Yeshua seemed to honor Thomas' request and actually kind of be glad somebody finally went like, no, I want to know what I'm getting into before I decide to follow you. Show me. Seemed to be a thing Yeshua appreciated. Don't follow anybody. I, I lo- there's a lot of teachers I love that I talk to regularly. I know them, so I know when they teach, I know where they're coming from. And you need, we need to be the same way. So that if I say something that's really wacky and off, you can either know why, like, oh, he must be frustrated with something. That was out of character. Well, how do you know what out of character is if you don't know what in character is, right? Travis this morning, he said, man, you look tired today. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. No, but, but, see, but we're getting to know each other, and, and it just is what it is. So, so those things are important, those, and these men fail to do that, obviously. Um, so... This distressed Moses greatly. Verse fifteen, he said to them, uh, "said to Hashem, do not turn to their gift offering. Um, have not have I not taken even a single donkey of theirs? Nor have I wronged any of them." So Moshe said to Korah, "You and your entire assembly before Hashem and Aaron tomorrow. Let each man bring his firepan 
et cetera, et cetera. I want to move through here so we don't run out of time. Um, so each man took his fire, hand, fire pan. Uh, that's verse 18. Um, verse, uh, let's see, the tent of verse 19. Korah gathered the entire assembly against him at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the glory of Hashem appeared to the entire assembly. So I wonder at this point, is, is Korah scared yet, or is he going like, that's right. The real man of God is here. <laughs> Verse 20, so Hashem spoke to Moshe and Aaron. <laughs> well, saying, separate from this assembly, and I shall destroy them in an instant. And they fell on their faces and said, oh God, of oh God of spirits, shall one man sin and you be angry with an entire assembly? Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, speak to the assembly, saying, get up yourselves from all around the dwelling places of Korah, Datan, and Aviram. So Moshe stood up and went to Datan and Aviram, the elders of Israel, and the elders of Israel followed him. He spoke to the assembly, saying, Turn away from there their tents and these wicked men, and do not touch anything of theirs, lest you perish because of all their sins. So they got up from themselves from their dwelling place uh, from all around, and Aviram and Dathan went out to erect the entrance of their tents and their wives and children and infants. Um, the, the, the tradition here is that not only were Korah and his, and his immediate family swallowed up, but their, all of their possessions, their tents, everything that was their possession was also swallowed up in this day. So it wasn't like one little mouth of the earth opened right under the core. It was like, it was, it was pinpointed. They also say that if you had like a business dealing with Korah or one of, one of his family, and they had signed their name on a receipt or a whatever, like you swapped oxen and they had signed that even the, their name disappeared from those, those documents. Just, that's how, that's how completely, we're going to blot out Korah completely, completely with all, all knowledge. Um, so the, we know that the earth swallows them up. And then verse 35 says, a flame came forth. Uh, wait, let's see. I want to read. Um, oh, verse 33. This is awesome. I don't, I'm not sure how your, uh, your translation says, but verse 36 says, um, they and all that was theirs descended alive. Did y'all say that? Went down alive? Yeah. Yeah. They went down alive to the pit, and the earth covered them over, and they were lost among the congregation. So this, this is what the Midrash teaches. Like, it's so awesome. So we are alive. Tree of life, right? This is like a, totally a tree of life moment. We're alive until we're not alive. And we're, we're in, we're in this, this light place. We're in life or death. We're in this light place or this death place. Life is life. Death is also final in a sense is death and darkness, light and darkness. And yet by saying that Korah went down alive, the sages teach that he is to this day suspended between light and darkness, between life and death. And that if you know the exact location of where he was swallowed, you can go there and if you put your ear to the ground, you can hear Korah and his sons and his, his family that were swallowed saying Moshe was right and God is God again that's Midrash it's not to be taken like you know go around with a Korok detector looking for Korok under the ground but what is it it's, it's to talk about who Korah was he was so divided between whether God is real or whether God is not whether to have faith in Moshe and God and, and, and Aaron or whether not that he was in this state of in between and that, that this is what caused him to, to rebel and to be like he was he could not be settled anytime we are not sold out 
We are not settled, and it's a place of destruction every single time. It's a place of death. It's an in-between place that is, that is that's always, that is never good. Um, and then it says in verse 35, A flame came forth from Hashem and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense, which is a hearkening back to what? Nadab and Avihu. The same thing happens, right? So just real quick before we close. Korah, we don't really, again, we don't really know a lot about Korah. The Midrash is awesome, and the sages, their, their history is incredible. But then we find Korah comes up again in two other places. Does anybody know one of the two places? Where? Jude, right? Okay, well, then three. <laughs> I'm in, in the Tanakh, but yeah. Um, what's one other place we see Korah mentioned in the Tanakh? Where? One is in the Psalms. A psalm by the sons of Korah, right? Oh, wait, I thought they were all swallowed up. Well, again, the scripture doesn't tell us. Tradition tells us that right at the last moment, Korah's sons went, we're out, we're not doing this. This is wrong. And they salvaged themselves. We find Korah in one other place that I think is really, really fascinating that I never caught until this week. He is the ancestor of Samuel. In 1 Chronicles, chapter 6, we have the, um, what do you call that thing? Thank you, genealogy of Samuel. And it starts in verse uh, 3, the sons of Kohat. Right? Amram, Izar, Hebron, and Uziel, the sons of Merari. It goes down, the sons of Gershom. Right, we these names are all that we should we should remember. Verse seven, the sons of Kohat, Aminadav, his son Korah. These are the, the these are the ancestry of Samuel. Samuel who would anoint David Amelech. What are we to think about that? See for me, I've noticed this year reading through the Torah portions, we have to watch for the redemption cycles. The Torah is full of little redemption cycles over and over. We talked about Ruth last few weeks around Shavuot, how it, how it redeems Lot and Abraham and Judah and Tamar and, and all the little redemptions that happen things that we forgot about because it was like oh that was like four chapters ago we're bad readers so we don't remember that thing happened maybe when we get to Samuel and Samuel is responsible for anointing King David maybe we're supposed to remember Korah and maybe Samuel is a redemption in some way for Korah I don't know maybe maybe not but I think it's very it's very interesting that we don't we don't think about we see we see the sons of Korah a psalm by, wait I thought they all died well apparently not unless they're writing from that in between place but look what happens look at the psalms go look go home and read the psalms that the sons of Korah write really really interesting so I love you all I love you all and I, I pray that this was good uh, good for us all remember uh, plan for July the 13th we'll have a great time it'll be hot third remember for july the third that's what i said um it'll be hot as blue blazes it just is it's louisiana in the summer um 
So uh, we'll, we'll have a good time. Bring your fish and stuff if you like to fish and all that. Um, bless you guys for our live stream audience. We love you very, very much. And, um, and hope that we see you again or you see us again next Shabbat. Father, we bless you and thank you for um, an awesome time together. I'm just so thankful for these people that we get to do life with. I'm thankful for the truth that you show us in your word. And I'm thankful, Father, for giving us your, your character, your personality, you, who you are. Um, both by your, your Torah, your written word, and by your Ruach, by the spirit that you have, have baptized us all and filled us all with. And um, I am thankful, Father, for our live stream audience. I pray that whatever sicknesses and illnesses and whatever uh, life challenges that they are dealing with, Father, we just we spend a few moments in prayer at the end of each service. And today I just want to ask you to, to be with them. Give them strength. Um, give them wisdom. Let their bodies rest. Uh, give them uh, a light. Show them, Father, a way. Um, that, that they are to deal with the things that they're facing with, uh, facing right now, because you are Emmanuel. Um, it's not always so much about getting an answer and getting healed and, and, and getting direction, but it's about realizing that you are with us in the sickness. You are with us in the, in the, the healing. You are with us in the indecision. You're with us in the, 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 the places where we're confused. You are there. And, uh, and so, Father, we just pray that you, your presence would be made known to them very real and very awesome way and um, that you would uh, allow all things to work for their good as your, prom- your word promises. So we bless you and thank you for our family um, and we ask your blessings on their week. Through Yeshua, our Messiah, and his merit, amen and amen.